Hell is other people. That quote, of course, comes from Jean-Paul Sartre. That is the correct pronunciation, Sartre. Uh, I personally like to say Sartre, John Jean-Paul Sartre. That's just a little more my style. Um, of course, Jean-Paul Sartre is um, one of the most famous philosophers of the 20th century, playwright. That quote, of course, is from No Exit, a play written in 1944. Jean Paul is one of the main philosophers responsible for the um, philosophy of existentialism, um, which kind of was born out of World War II because people were like looking around about uh, at what happened in World War II and they were like, oh, oh, this is all fucking pointless. There is definitely no point to any of this. There is no God. Fuck all of this. Um, existentialism is, I think, a useful philosophy in the crazy world that we live in. It's not 100% satisfactory for me, but I do take from some of it, you know. I think I realized when I was reading about Jean Paul Sartre that existentialism, my dad might actually be an existentialist because a huge part of, um, a huge cornerstone of of existentialism is that the life you have is right here right now and it is completely determined by your choices Um, and your choices are what bring about the life that you have Um, and my dad's favorite phrase has always been it's all about choices it's all about choices so in a way, I guess my dad's an existentialist, um, which makes him kind of badass, I guess. Um, but also maybe kind of sad, because I find that sometimes existentialism can be very sad and meaningless. Um, I need a little more meaning. Like, I need a little more magic and wizardry and like, ooh, oh, Jesus. Like, he's so fucking cool. Like, I love his message. It's very hopeful and inspirational. Um all about love I also like miracles and things like that and uh you know the the idea that you die and you go to heaven and it's just a bunch of uh, puffy like cotton balls in the sky and you get to float around and you get to hang out with celebrities I always love tweets where people are like ah they love imagining that when a celebrity dies they go get to hang out with the other celebrities in heaven like David Bowie and Prince are hanging out in heaven it's like, really? Is heaven also like Earth where there's like a red carpeted VIP area only for the celebrities? That is ridiculous. No. Why would you spend your whole life being super devout in whatever religion you are, which most religions do preach that when you go to heaven, it's like heaven, like perfect. All the ego and all the bullshit of, of people, uh, of humanity all the flaws of that are gone that you're in the pure love of god and there you truly are equal with everything you are part of god at that point right isn't that the whole idea that you had to live through this shit life on earth so that you could go be in heaven when i get to heaven i don't want there to be a goddamn red carpet and like oh i don't get to hang out with prince like oh i'm not special enough i'm not in the inner circle like can you imagine god being like that like 
oh, there's an inner circle for God. Like, if, and if you want to hang out with God, you actually have to be like um, a list and maybe even a little higher than that. Like you need to be like on Oprah level. Um, otherwise you, ha- you have to go hang out in the fucking with the groundlings, um, which by the way, the groundlings is an improv group, but really that word, if you didn't know, comes from the seating arrangements at the globe, Shakespeare's globe theater. Um, the, the floor, which was muddy and dirty and open air was where the poor people, it was the cheapest seats in the theaters where the poor people went and they called them the groundlings cause they had to stand on the ground. Anyway, we're full of facts today. I am full of FYI information for your information information. Cause it's just information that's just for you. There's really no other point to it. Um, so anyway, here's the thing. Hell is other people. People say that, and I agree to an extent, but I actually think that hell is airplanes. Um, Airplanes were hell. We all knew it. We all felt it. When you get on a plane, it's fucking hell. There's very few times where plane flying, not flying a plane, but when you're inside an airplane, there's very few times where it's not hell. And... I can name one time, maybe two times, where it wasn't hell in some way. And that was when I got to fly first class to London for free. Now, the, the plane ticket wasn't free, but the upgrade to first class was free because I had, I had earned enough points with Delta uh, the year before where I got a free round-trip global upgrade to first class. And it just so happened that Delta's nonstop from L.A. to London was uh, operated by Virgin Airlines. So I got to fly first class round trip from LA to London on Virgin Airlines, which I had no idea how nice Virgin Airlines was. Oh my God. First of all, you get on the plane and the first class cabin is all these little like diagonal rows of full like little pods, like pod first class is the, is the only first class. First class is just a sim. If you get on a plane and you see the first class and it's just wider seats with a little more legroom, yes, that is good. It is definitely better than back in the further back in the plane. And yes, you get free drinks and sometimes you get a free meal. Those things are very good. I'm not downplaying those things. But that is nothing compared to pod first class. Pod first class is when you get a pod, you get to you have a little like seat that like is electronically operated like a like a almost like a craftomatic bed and it goes into all different positions and you can lay down flat completely your whole body and sometimes they give you pillows and blankets and shit and it's fucking awesome now virgin the pods are huge in fact they're so complex and like sort of glammed out that they you are not allowed to set up the bed yourself you actually have to get the flight attendant to come. And <laughs> I like push the button at one point and she goes, do you want me to turn your chair into a bed? And I'm like, yes. And, like when we first got on the plane, she goes, she was going up and down the aisle. And she was going, would you like a sleep suit? I'm like a sleep suit. What the fuck is this? I'm imagining it's like this like aerodynamic thing that you get inside and like you zip up and it like removes all smells and sounds. Like I, I thought it was gonna be like a space suit. But really, they were just, it was just pajamas. But uh, would you like a sleep suit? Would you like me to turn your chair into a bed? They were so nice. And the food, I mean, it was like a five-course gourmet meal. Like, I had really good food on this flight. I mean, it was just phenomenal. I slept really hard. 
like they they turn the thing into a bed. They even put a little mattress pad on the the bed so that it's even softer and more comfortable. Oh my god, it was so good. And then the first class lounge at Heathrow, London Heathrow, the Virgin Lounge made the Delta Sky Lounge look like a fucking dump. They had wait waiter service, like you just sit down. They had all these like cool seats and like like those egg things that hang down from the ceiling that you sit in. I don't know what they're called, but they're like little like swing seats that you sit in. It was awesome. Anyway, that is not hell. That was not hell. You're still on an airplane and you're still dealing with airplane stuff, but you're still, it's, it's not pure hell. Every other flight experience I've had has had some element of hell to it. And luckily America one you know, towards the American one, when we started transitioning to American two, you know, everything was on the table. The whole world was changing. Um, you know, when we decided to reshape society, we were like, hey, while we're at it, what else can we fix? And one of the first things that people said was airline travel. Airplane uh, mess needed to be not only fixed, but hey, why don't we just eliminate it? We decided that there was no way to make airlines, unless they were going to give every single person the virgin first class experience, then fuck it. Let's just get rid of airplanes. It's ruining the environment anyway. I mean, I think really some of the things that led up to it were just the number of boarding zones. There was just too many of them. And people were getting really irritated. You know, like you get there with your boarding pass, you're like, oh, I'm zone three. I'll be on the plane pretty quick. But then they get on the, the AP and they're like, the PA, and they're like, all right, we are uh, welcome to flight 2046, service to Minneapolis. We will start by boarding today with our, uh, anyone who needs a little extra time getting down the jetway. Anybody with needs a little extra time. So, of course, those people go first, people with the wheelchairs. Anyone with small children, anyone with children under the age of two, uh, please approach boarding for flight 20034 to Minneapolis. Uh, welcome aboard. And so you're like, okay, okay, okay. Not zone three yet. Okay. We're not even into zone one yet. And they're like, okay, now we are now boarding all, uh, uniformed military. Uh, anybody who's in the military, active military, please board. Welcome aboard. And okay. You're just like, okay, okay. That's actually the third group that's now boarding. We haven't even gotten to the numbers yet. Okay. Now we're boarding, um, all members of our elite advantage plus economy, uh, group, um, they can now board and they go through all these different little like premium, like sky priority, first class, anyone, or million milers can now board and there's all these different groups and then finally they get to zone one and at this point they're like, and we're out of storage, anyone who has a bag will ne- need to check it at the gate. Um, and so people were just getting really irritated with the number of boarding zones. So that was a big thing, bad for the environment. And then the whole thing started where, you know, that that famous incident where they dragged that man off the United flight, like they brought the police on and dragged him off. And it was very dramatic and he got injured and people were so, you know, there was just uproar over it. And uh, there's been, you know, there were numerous other incidents like that where people were getting dragged off flights um, for refusing to leave. And um, when that happened, what the result of it was is that airlines didn't want that kind of uh, you know, controversy. They didn't want those incidents happening because now with cell phones, there's going to be a cell phone record of it and people are going to be, fuck you. 
how dare you treat people that way? You know, they didn't want incidents like this. So they were going out of their way to prevent them by offering in financial incentives to get people to get off an overbooked flight. And so uh, people got wind of this and they started basically extorting the airlines. So if they had an overbooked flight, the person would just sit there and go, how much? And they'd be like, okay, we'll give you a $250 voucher. Not enough. And they get you up to $10,000. I mean, like they get in. So, you know, the airlines were starting to get really mad about that. People were trying to purposely get bumped off flights so that they could get this, this cash money. Um, and it just became a kind of a mess. And so that it, it was really stressful just to be there, even when these sort of like uh, negotiations would be happening. Finally, um, there was the, the crash, this one crash that happened that was really tragic. It was a, a, a whole flight of people died um, during takeoff. A flight was taking off, and the reason that they died was because somebody wasn't in airplane mode. Um, they were still checking Twitter when the plane was taking off, and they thought the rules didn't apply to them. And it's... You know, whenever I used to see people doing that, one time I was on a flight and a man was fully having a phone conversation as the flight was taking off. He didn't even warn the person. He wasn't like, hey, we're taking off. I might get cut off soon. He just kept talking until we were like maybe 5,000 feet above the ground and then it got cut off. And he didn't even, so the person had no idea why the phone got cut off. I, I just, people who behave that way, I have to say, are garbage people because they think the rules don't apply to them they don't understand that almost every rule especially on an airplane is there because someone died every single rule on a flight is because at some point someone died and now the airline doesn't want to be liable for it so for instance when they go uh there is a life preserver under your seat and they like inflate it and then they show someone really like sexual erotically blowing it up like blowing on the thing like it's like always really erotic when they show that part. They're like <laughs> blowing it. It's really upsetting. Um, they blow up the little yellow life bless. But they also mention if you're paying attention, which you should be every flight, even if you think you know that plane and the particular safety features of that plane, you should always refresh. Always refresh. At least pay attention halfway. At least take a glimpse of the screen if they're showing you a video at least just try to absorb some of it and i'll get to why in just a second but i want to finish what i'm currently saying which is if you fly and you notice they'll always say okay here's how you blow up the uh the life vest they'll also say also your seat can be used as a flotation device now why would they need both well they need to tell you that because at some point someone must have died because their their life vest didn't didn't come open and then they didn't realize they could use the seat cushion you know and that's why every rule exists because at some point someone died and that's why you need to follow the rules because you need to protect not only yourself but the other people on the plane so when that person was checking twitter and then the whole i guess some computer glitch happened and then the whole plane blew up then we realized we have been not taking this seriously for too long and all of this is just too fucking upsetting. Too many people are behaving like animals on airplanes. I mean, they're, they're, they're sleeping with their mouth open and their breast mouths. They are being, they're putting their f bare feet up on the back of the seat like an animal. They're eating tuna fish inside a small plane cabin. 
all the things. And you know what? I'm not going to even mention babies because you know what? Babies are babies. Babies do what babies do. And the reason that it's so upsetting when you hear a baby cry on a plane is because it's programmed into your brain as a human, as a homo sapiens to try and quiet a baby. It's a survival instinct that is programmed genetically into your brain that when you hear a baby crying, you want to make the baby stop crying because that is what protects the baby. The baby's only way of communicating that it needs food, that it's upset, that it's in pain, is by crying. And so as a, an adult human, when you hear a baby crying, you start your, your heart starts beating a little faster. You start panicking a little, you start sweating, because you can't make that baby stop. And it's everyone in the plane is going, make the baby stop. And that's just a genetic reaction. It's a biological, physiological reaction that you are having to the sound of a baby crying. And once you realize that, you can kind of take a deep breath and go, you know what, it's okay. The mom is probably doing the best they can. Now, I've seen moms behave terribly and not at least try to make their child be quiet or at least, you know, maybe like a quick, like, sorry, sorry, he's just so sorry. You know, I just know sometimes you just can't shut your baby up. I get that. So I don't usually get upset about babies crying on the airplane unless, you know, it's something really egregious. Like if the kid is a little bit older and they're kicking the seat or they're running up and down the aisle, or they're doing something really bad, and the adult hasn't done anything to try and alleviate or bring the noise level down, then that can be annoying. I know that's a very controversial topic. Some people are like, fuck babies. If you bring a baby on an airplane, you're a bad person, which I'm like, what the hell, man? Maybe the baby needs to go visit its grandma. Like, what are you? You hate grandmas? What's, what's your fucking problem? Anyway, so we decided as a nation for all of those reasons that I just described, that flying was over. We were done with it. Fuck flying. It's just not worth it anymore. So that's when we passed the uh, AWFRTFITWB, which of course stands for um, the American We Finally Realized That Flying is the Worst Bill. And we got rid of airplanes. And it helped us with our uh, addiction to fossil fuels, and it also helped us be a little, you know, more relaxed in our day-to-day lives. Um, You know, I should have known the end was coming for flying, you know, when that Southwest flight happened where the engine blew up and a piece of the engine hit a window and the window broke out. And so the air pressure in the plane dropped dramatically and a woman was partially, this is all I know, I refused to read any more about it. I, I refused because I knew I had to fly so much at the time that I would just constantly imagine myself being sucked out of the window because I sit in the window seat for numerous reasons. Numerous reasons. One, I can lean my head and fall asleep. Great reason to have the window seat. Two, I do like looking out the window. I like looking down and seeing the farmland stitched across all the great plains, you know, I like looking down and going, ah, what's going on down there? Two farmers are fucking right now. I love that. I love looking at stars at night out the window. Um, it helps. Um, it's just kind of relaxing. I also like the window because they did a, a comprehensive study about germ spread in airplanes and the cleanest, uh, you know, most effective way to avoid getting sick from an airplane is to sit in the aisle seat and never get up, which is, was already my, uh, strategy as it was, but it was very nice to know that I had been doing it correctly. So I always sit in the window seat if I can. Now, when that Southwest window got blown out, a woman was partially sucked out. She later died 
I have spent a lot of time imagining that happening, envisioning it happening to me. Why did she die? What happened? I, I, I don't even want to know because it's just too much information to uh, add to my um, nightmare that I'm imagining. So she got sucked out. It was awful. Thankfully, though, she was the only person um, that was killed and the flight landed safely. Now, this was in the age of, of Facebook Live and airplane Wi-Fi. And someone was actually streaming live when it happened. You couldn't see any of the real, you couldn't see the woman. So thankfully we didn't see that, but you could see him. And my first thought when I saw the video was he's wearing the oxygen mask incorrectly. He doesn't, he only had it over his mouth and not over his nose. And sure enough, there was an article like a couple of days after that, that was like almost everyone on that flight did not have their oxygen masks on correctly. And that just, again, now that's the part I was saying, well, I'll get to it later. That's why you pay attention. You pay attention to the safety instruction part. You at least look to see how is the flight attendant putting that mask on their face. Like the fact that people didn't, that when I saw him, I was like, has he never paid attention to it? All it takes is one time seeing someone put that thing over their head. Even in movies and stuff, they do it correctly. Why are you only putting it over your mouth? Put it over your mouth and your nose and then tighten by pulling the straps. I mean, how, how many times have you... I get a lot of people don't fly that much, but seriously. It doesn't take that many times flying to get it, okay? God. Anyway, thankfully that time is over. Um, but I do sometimes like to reminisce about my days flying. I was a, I was a warrior. A, a warrior in the sky. I had my routine down. Um, in fact, I was to the point where sometimes I would be, you know, you, when you travel, you're alone. It can be very lonely. And whenever my boyfriend at the time, Scott, would fly with me, I would get excited. I'd be like, oh, yes, I have somebody to hang out with for the whole flight, and they get to be a part of it. And then I'd immediately regret it because he did not follow my internal rules of travel. I'd be like, what the fuck? Is-? He doesn't have, he doesn't have his everything correct for the TSA pre-check? Like, why doesn't he... Oh, my God, you don't have everything already in your backpack? You're, like, emptying one thing out of your pocket at a time? Like, oh, what's this? Oh, I got a little piece of metal in here. Who knew? (laughs) It's, like, taking so long, you're slowing up the whole fucking line. I'm like, dude, get your shit together. We have to get through this within 30 seconds. That's, like, what I, I, like, have certain time limits that I... Before I start getting really irritated. (laughs) And... You know, or like he he doesn't he was never really um, as adherent to the rules on an airplane, and that really irritated me at times. He would, you know, he'd have he'd hide try to hide his iPad and like his bag like under his legs when we were in the uh, the bulkhead where you're supposed to put it up above, like because you don't have a store. This is very specific, but there are just things like that that drive me crazy that he wouldn't do correctly, and I was and he'd just look at me like you're insane, and I'm like yeah, but I fly like once a week, and I just have my way of doing things, which is the correct way. Um, some of the most memorable, memorable experiences I had were just, again, like airplane flight was hell, which there was one time where I was on a flight to Australia, and um, it was a really long flight, and I happened to notice this one guy kept going to the bathroom because I sat near the bathroom, and he kept going into the bathroom barefoot. I have never seen I I honestly that is 
I've never seen anything grosser in my life. I mean, I probably have, but that to me was one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen anyone do on a plane. An airplane bathroom floor, have you ever looked at it? It's covered in urine. So basically, you're just dipping your foot in urine by going in there barefoot. You, I mean, how are you, how can you not feel the stickiness? I feel it on my shoe. It's that I try to avoid using a bathroom on a plane just because I don't want to be in there. I don't want my shoe to touch the floor of the bathroom. I find that disgusting. It's like somehow it's going to absorb through the shoe, through the sock, into my skin, and then into my bloodstream and kill me. This is why, once again, so glad... I mean, but I will say, now I'm making myself out to be kind of a uptight, sort of angry flyer. And I really wasn't. I wasn't. I actually was very zen about it because you kind of have to be. I was used, when I first started flying, um, I was so, so scared of turbulence that I would like have to put my head between my legs and like try to calm myself down. I'd like be like, one time I, I actually grabbed a man sitting next to me because I was so scared of the turbulence and I think he felt really bad for me but maybe thought I was I was maybe a little crazy but I actually had to train myself to to become very zen because when you fly there's a lot you can't control one you can't control if you're going to get into a a plane crash you can't control that there's nothing you can do that will prevent that so I mean (laughs) you cannot be on your phone when the plane's taking off. We know that. At least follow the basic rules. But there's very little you can do to control that. So you have to let go of that control. You can't control who sits next to you. Um, you, you have to let go of that. You know, all those things. You can't control the smells that are going into your nose. It's a lot about giving up control. And especially when it came to, like, delays and things. You know, I realized, like, people would get so mad if there was a delay. And... and even when it was something to do with like maintenance or like they'd be like we have to we're waiting for a replacement part first of all i'm like take your time you double check your work triple check it you know what how about we get a whole new plane in here we don't need to replace the part just get us a new plane brand new plane we don't need to worry about the broken one uh take your time so my thing is like was always like you know what we can't control this. If the flight's delayed, the flight's delayed. Now, of course, there are extenuating circumstances. Like, if you're stuck on the tarmac for one of those hell, like, eight hours where they won't let you get up, you know, those things are insane. And I I know they've done, they have new rules. They had new rules at the time to try and prevent those things from happening. And once in a while, it would happen. And I was stuck on, a, on planes sometimes that were really long waits and really, really unpleasant. But for your general, like, maybe 30-minute, hour delay, whatever, don't panic. But there were people that on planes that would just, like, get so frustrated, and you could hear them being like, come on! Ugh. You know, those, and I'm always like, you keep that inside. Don't put your poison in us, okay? Because now I'm panicked. Now you're making me upset. Now, I don't know. I just was lucky with air flight. Air flight. I, I'm going to just choose a term. <laughs> I was lucky with air travel. Um, I didn't have, maybe it was because I just didn't notice it. Like when things were delayed or things were fucked up, I just didn't get upset about it. And so I, I always felt like, oh, I usually have pretty good luck with flying, but other people would just be like, fly, you know, Delta's the fucking worst. American Airlines is evil. Like, and they would go on Twitter. And that was one of my things, like where every little thing that went wrong, they'd be like, uh, excuse me. Uh, 
Delta Assist, can you please do something about this? I wasn't given the proper pretzels when I got on my plane. And what kind of joke of an airline are you? Like when people would do that, I would just be like, damn, like, can't you just resolve this in a private way? Now, in some cases, I think going on Twitter was effective. If you were treated in a discriminatory way or your humanity was put into question, you know, in any way by an airline employee or, you know, the TSA or whatever, I think those are instances where we should expose, you know, um, systematic injustices like that. And, and having a big Twitter following can be a very powerful vehicle for change, you know, and you can really get shit done. Like a, a flight, uh, 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 an airline could actually change their policies if you get enough people rallied around the cause. So in that case, I think it's fine. But if you're just com- if you were just complaining about like we were delayed 15 minutes, you know, like. I cannot, uh, I'm like, just deal with that privately. Like, we don't need, you know, like, stop throwing your dick around, okay? Anyway. Thank God, again, those days are over. Now we have to travel by rail, which is delightful if you get a good seat in the train. Uh, It takes longer, but it's good. And nowadays with the DBZs, you don't need to fly that much. I got all, all the way across the country to my current location via car. Um, and, you know, cars are fun. Um, I mean, especially when it's a hybrid or an electric car, which is better for the environment. So, um, <clears throat> I will say, I took flying very seriously, and I was a Delta flyer through and through, loyal, loyal to the bone. I made it to Diamond several times which is really difficult to do. You have to fly a lot. You have to spend a lot of time in an airplane, which is, again, always unpleasant, except for certain circumstances. So I put the work in, and I got my rewards. And it was a game. It was like a game for me. I was, like, obsessed with the Delta app, obsessed with the – it was just – anyway. So I guess I say, thank God those days are over, but there is some part of me that misses it. You know, uh, just getting in a plane, hopping here and there, and, you know, suddenly you're in another country. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Um, What's happening at the Cabinet? Well, finally got back into my cross-stitch tip. I uh, took a break for a few weeks there. The foot injury was sort of distracting me. I had some things to take care of around, around the property, some coil wolves to try and um, engage in some cosmic plane speak with uh, you know just stuff like that and I got kind of put down the cross stitch for a little bit but I'm back on it and I'm so glad because it really you know it reminds me I, I would say it really it's something and I've said this before it's something controlled it's something you count it's something that you know what the result is going to be you know the steps you have to take to get the result the beautiful, creative, artistic result is, is within grasp. And you know it will look good because you have a pattern that you're following. Following the rules. Okay? That's why I love it so much. Um, I really had to rely on cross-stitch a lot when I was writing my first book. Because writing a book, there were no rules. There was no pattern to follow. There was nobody there to tell me, oh, this is good, this is bad. It was a very lonely experience. And one of the most emotionally stressful things I've ever done 
in my life. And it was kind of like when you have a weakened immune system, like because I was working on the book, I was emotionally weak in other places in my life. Um, social media became way more toxic for me because I was, I would like look at social media to distract myself from the anxiety that the book was causing. And then I'd get new anxiety by looking at social media. I'd be on Instagram. I'd be like, why the fuck wasn't I invited? What, what the, who's this bitch? Oh, oh, so you, so you're saying I have to get a dog now or a baby to be cool? Is that what we're doing now? I have to have a dog to be a popular comedian. I have to have a baby. Oh, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to do my first special six months pregnant. What the fuck are you thinking, bitch? You know, that's the whole path I would go down. And I was just very weak, weakened across the board emotionally. And what I found is that cross stitch was a cool breeze and a, a salve. It, it helped calm me down because it was something with a known result. Like I just said, you know, the book was chaos. It was unknown. It was self a doubt um but cross stitch was this is going to be beautiful just keep stitching one stitch at a time and in a way that's what the book was one word at a time just keep working on it keep going and maybe you don't have a pattern to follow but that's why the book will be something that is your voice whereas the cross stitch is just a hobby and someone else's art that you are mimicking the book will be your own and so it worked out, as I've mentioned, best-selling book. Went on to write many other books that were also bestsellers. It also was turned into a TV show and several movies. I won many awards. So, you know, lesson learned. I don't know what the lesson is, but... Well, one is follow the rules, but when you don't have rules, have faith that it's going to be okay. Huh? <laughs> okay, um... That's all for, t for this week. Um, wow. I feel good. Bye.